All right, please let me encourage you to uh, open up your Bibles. This will be the last time I say this for some time to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to look at a portion of chapter 11 and then chapter 12 as we close out our study. It's been a puzzling uh, book. I'm sure some of you uh, would agree. There's been, as we have unpacked uh, this portion of wisdom literature, there's been some some beautiful poetic uh, insights. There's been some brutal honesty. Uh, There's been some sober realities that he's touched upon about life. He's also uh, highlighted sweet encouragements that we need to enjoy life, the the simple pleasures of life. Solomon, that's whom we've presumed is Coalette, the teacher, the, uh, the preacher here. He's taken us on a journey, so to speak, and that journey has traced through different seasons and stations and uh, uh, points of, of life. And, uh, and he certainly had the means to do it because, after all, being uh, one of the wisest men, the wisest man on earth, and, and at that time, uh, easily the, the, the wealthiest probably on earth, he had at his disposal because of his power and wealth and influence and position, uh, he could try and test uh, anything, whether it was wisdom or sensual relationships or food or building things or gardening or hobbies. It didn't matter. Uh, he could, he could in, indeed test it. But more, more importantly, it should be stated that what he had at his disposal... And one of the things that was guiding him wasn't uh, so much his wealth, but more importantly, as he records these things and reflects on them, is the Spirit of God. And maybe that's something that has been assumed, but it should be stated right now that this is a man who's inspired, as he writes, inspired by God. Second Peter 1, uh, 21 says, in reflecting on the voices of the Old Testament uh, authors of the Hebrew Bible, Peter writes, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's also uh, maybe well known to you, 2 Timothy three sixteen. All of scripture, all of it is God breathed and is useful, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So that's why we're here. I mean, it's, this is the God-breathed book that we seek out. We take it up. We do this foolish exercise, as the world would estimate, and coming to this and this exercise of the proclamation and the preaching of God's word, the meditating on it throughout the course of our week, the reflecting, uh, the listening to uh, God's voice. I said it last week. Uh, the world ultimately despises the truth. The world despises the truth. And the same, frankly, would be altogether true of us. It does hold true of us if it hadn't been for God. But God, in his mercy, has softened our hearts. He has opened our eyes and our ears. He has humbled our pride and ego that we might hear his voice. And Ecclesiastes takes up many of the deeper questions of life that we've covered over the course of the summer. The deeper questions, the the, the realities of the meaning of life, the importance of that, and what is he, and why is that important? That we need wisdom to navigate these seasons, especially in the face of disappointment, suffering, injustices that we observe, the exceptions that we observe. When we think about the wisdom of Proverbs, we say, oh, that works. Right? Like if I, if I work hard, then it pays off and there's a reward. Ah, but there are exceptions to that. Hold on just a moment. Ecclesiastes keeps reminding us that life, uh, even the, the best of lives, is at the end of the day, hevel. Remember we, we talked about this word. It's a word that's translated in some renderings. Some translations say meaningless. 
I don't think that's exactly accurate. It's, it's better to say that it's, it's vain. It is, life is fleeting. It is a vapor. It is mist. It's a noun. It's something that you could put your hands on like smoke, but it would only be so brief. Life is vain. And to try to capture it is like a chasing after the wind to try to control it. Solomon takes us on a journey through these different stations and seasons. And he did it in a way that's true to wisdom literature. It's poetic. It's, it's rich in beautiful language. And yes, even to, to read this, at times we scratch our head, but at other times we go, that's so well put. But it doesn't have just for us an aesthetic value. You know, there's, there's also a, a moral weight and value to what is written here. And I want it just briefly as, a, as an introduction and as a review of what, we, what, what we've covered, I want to take us on a brief journey before we dig into this last chapter. Because if you remember, back in the opening chapter, Solomon took us up first. The station he took us to was the, the king's mountain, so to speak. It was the, the, the bird's eye view of, of life. And he's... He could have said, you know, just in, in observing all that he has seen under the sun, he could have said, just frankly, simply, listen, earthly pleasures, I've tried them all, they're overrated. But he doesn't. He says this in chapter 1, verse 14, I've seen everything done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a chasing after the wind. Now, moving on, chapter 3, he takes us to the philosophy class takes us to the academy. And he could have said, you know, honestly, all humanity is roaming around and there really is uh, no sense of control that we have. But he didn't say it that way. He said instead in Ecclesiastes 3.11, God made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in our hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. And then in chapter four, he takes us, Coalette, the teacher, the, 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 the pundit, he takes us into the living room of a rich but a lonely man. And he could have said at that point, you know what? Look at this guy's life. And so here it is. It's important that you have friends and it's important that you develop community. But he didn't say that. What did he say? A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Chapter four, verse 12. Then in chapter five and in verse, uh, chapter five and in chapter six, he takes us down to, to Wall Street, so to speak, to the market. And he could have said, listen, plain and simple, money and materialism are shallow. But he doesn't. He says in chapter five, verse 10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. So well put. And then in chapter 7 and chapter 9, he, he moves on and he takes us over to the, to the funeral home, to the, to the mortuary. And he could have said, listen, eat as much kale as you want to and do as many Pilates as you can imagine, and you're still going to die. He could have said that, and that would be true. But instead, he reminds us in chapters 7 and 9, sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Chapter 7, verse 3. And then he says this in chapter 9, verse 4. He who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. That's the poetic way of saying it. Then lastly, last week we looked at chapter 10. 
the teacher takes us down into where? Where did we go last week? Where did we travel? What station? What, what town? Thank you, English teacher. Vanity Fair. Good job, right? Pilgrim's Progress, Vanity Fair. It's the place where all imaginable uh, pleasures could be purchased or, you know, there's, there's, there's treasures to be sold and things to be exchanged. And what do we find at Vanity Fair? But a bunch of disappointment. But he doesn't just say that. He doesn't say foolish talk will lead you down a road of destruction. He says... Chapter 10, verse 12, the words of a wise man's mouth will win him favor, but the lips of fools consume him. So now we've we've traveled this journey, weaving through these different seasons and stations of life, and he brings us to the nursing home. I don't know. There's a different name for it now, right? There's a there's a there's a new nomenclature. I used to call it a rest home. You know, granny lives at the, the, the nursing home or the rest home. It shows us, he is showing us, he will, that nothing and no one can satisfy us except living with and for God. Solomon takes up the most important event in this last chapter. He takes up the most important event in your life. The most important event in all of human history. Do you know what that is? It's coming. And that is the day of judgment. It's a day of terror for the fool and it's a day of triumph for the wise. Plain as can be. But he has a poetic way of saying that and I know that you'll look for it. I know that uh, as I've tried to take us along these seasons and stations with him, I've also wanted us to see Jesus because the greatest place is not the mountain of prosperity and the worst place is not the valley of adversity. We've already traverse both of those. And all of you and all of us at some point will find ourselves indeed, in fact, on the mountaintop or in the valley or somewhere in between or quickly heading back down into the valley. Not because we wanted to, we thought we were in control. Chances are we will traverse all of those and everything in between. But what is most important is that we navigate life with wisdom and with the greatest companion and advocate Imaginable, and that is Jesus, who is our wisdom, who is our righteousness. And being united to Christ is a priceless and precious thing. Jesus was there at the beginning, at the foundation of the world. He was the instrument, the Son of God, in creating the world. Everything, all things were made by Him and for Him. And in Him, all things hold together. And He is coming again with glory. And that is good news for people, whether you are young or whether you are old. Please stand if you would. Let's read beginning in verse seven of chapter 11. We'll carry through the end. Hear this. This is the word of God. Ecclesiastes 11 verse seven. Light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eye to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, well, let him rejoice in them and and rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. 
All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart, in the sight of your eyes. But know that after all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Chapter 12, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few. And those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors of the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home and the mourners are about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was. And the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and upright. And uprightly, he wrote words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings that that are given by one shepherd. My son, beware of anything beyond these. Of the making of many books, there is no end, and of much study is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is God's word. Thanks be to him. You may be seated. Father, we right now... Uh, Gather together as your people, I ask that you might be merciful to work in our hearts and minds by uh, the power, uh, the persuasion of your spirit, that we we might even have a sense of anticipation right now to hear your voice. For Christ's sake, amen. Uh, The longer I live, uh, the more I hear phrases like, I'm having a senior moment. I've heard... Older people say this, okay? Uh, right. um, Krista reminded me at my birthday this year that you're halfway to 90. Thank you. Um, I'm having a senior moment. Here's another one that I hear uh, folks say. Uh, Growing old is not for the faint of heart. Well, as a typical 45-year-old, here's a dad joke for you. Two elderly couples got together. They're enjoying a friendly conversation, and one of the men asked the other man, Hey, Fred, how was that memory clinic thing you went to last month? Oh, outstanding, Fred replied. They taught us all about the latest psychological techniques, visualization, association, etc. It was great. Well, that's great. And what was the name, Fred, of that clinic? And Fred pondered, and Fred thought, and... He said, just give me a moment. And then Fred said, "Uh, you know, help me here. What's the name of that flower? It it has a long stem and it has thorns on it. Oh, his friend replied, are you talking about a rose? Yes, that's it. 
And Fred turned to his wife and said, Rose, what's the name of that memory clinic? (laughs) Thanks for entertaining that dad joke. This passage, uh, this passage, this portion of Ecclesiastes is often used for the basis of a commencement speech. Uh, I gave two of them in May and in June. One of them was Luke's graduation from high school. And it's fitting, right? But Solomon here is referring, obviously, to the days of youth. But really, that's anyone that's this side of the grave. So today, two things, whether you're a senior citizen or whether you're a senior about to graduate, two things that I see in this text that I want to remind us of. They're listed in the order of service. It's to rejoice and to remember. Rejoice. Rejoice before your face. you face old age. <laughs> And remember before you face your creator. So here's the first one. Rejoice. Rejoice. A word about the old age before we talk about youth. I don't know if you caught the imagery there. It might be a little bit puzzling. It was for me, to be honest. In chapter 12, verses 2 to 7. Look at that, if you would. Many Hebrew scholars say, what is going on here? The, the, The literary language, the imagery he has in chapter 12, verse 2 is of a house. And the house is, is, is declining, it's decaying, it's, it's coming apart. And he's referring to the frame of the human frail body. We know that's true and elsewhere in Scripture, even as we heard our New Testament reading this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's talking about this earthly tent that will be exchanged for a new heavenly glorified body. You can see it here. Look, look back with me at chapter 12, verse 3. In the days when the keepers of the house tremble, referring to hands and, and arms that begin to tremble, the strong men are bent, referring to many people believe that the knees of elderly not able to hold at times their own weight. The grinders cease because they are few. What is that referring to? The teeth. The teeth are falling out. Those who look through windows that are dimmed Mind you, this is what? This is the days before there's cataract surgery and corrective lenses. This is someone who's losing their their vision. If you continue on, you see there are these highlighted places of the, the verse five, the grasshopper. What's up with the grasshopper? Well, the grasshopper used to be able to leap right up, but now it needs a, it needs a cane to walk. And then there's the mention of the almond tree, and that is a, a reference to the, the first plant that blooms and it's white and in a distance it looks like the head of someone who is, well, not young. Be glad you have hair. This all culminates when we return to what, verse 7? The dust. And our spirit returns to God. So, He's the one who gave it. This is how life goes in a broken, fallen world. God didn't make the world that way, but sin and the curse has come. We rebelled against God. God gave his word and the devil, the the serpent, the deceiver who's been lying from the beginning, it's his native tongue, says, did God really say? And we, with our parents in that garden, chose to reject God's law. But then before that day comes when we return to dust, 
Go back to chapter 11, verse 8 and 9. What does it say? In two places there, it says that we should rejoice. Rejoice in your youth and let your heart cheer you and walk in the ways of your heart. Which, by the way, is not saying as much as it might be pleasing to our sound. Follow your passion, young people. Follow your heart. Don't do that. Okay? That's not what it's saying. The, The heart is not the seat of passion and feelings. The heart in Scripture is the seat of our of our mind, of our, of our intellect. And elsewhere in Scripture, it makes it explicitly clear, like Numbers 15, 39, remember all the commandments of the, of the Lord and do them and do not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you're inclined to whore after. The heart is deceitful. Live life to the full. We, we know that. That Latin phrase, you know, carpe diem, seize the day. But he's also saying, while you do that, also live coram dea. Before the face of God. Because we can't enjoy the gifts of this life in our youth without an eye and a face and a vision to the one who gave it to us, our creator. That's the only way to truly rejoice, to truly rejoice in the things that God has given us is always and only to remember the gift giver, our creator. And ultimately, someday, we will face that creator who is also our judge. And so now we're called to live by faith. Recently, we, we were driving up to New Hampshire, and I, I wanted to go back and listen to, and I, I had my kids in the car, um, and... I wanted to go back and listen to a sermon that had made a, a, an impact on me. In fact, it's, it's arguably made an impact on tens of thousands of people in my generation. In 2000, uh, Pastor John Piper uh, preached a sermon at a one-day conference of college students, 2,000-plus college students in Memphis. And it was, it was, I don't know how else to say it, but a, a Spirit of God-empowered prophetic voice that needed to be heard it was a challenge to my generation. And he reflected there. He talked about how three weeks prior to this, this is in the year 2000 or 2002, somewhere about 20 years ago. And he reflected on the lives of two women, women who were, uh, were successful in many re- respects, a physician and a nurse. They had never been, they had never been married. Uh, they, they headed off to Cameroon to be missionaries, to, to live for Christ, to live for the kingdom. And he's, he's reflecting on their life. And he says that they poured it out for one great thing, to make Christ known amongst the unreached, the poor, and the sick. <laughs> Excuse me. One of them, Laura, was a widow, a medical doctor. The other was a, a lady named Ruby, who was by her side as a nurse who was single. They're driving down the road, and the brakes give out, and they fly off a cliff. And they die. And Piper says, most people would say their life up to that point and their life dying that way is a complete tragedy. And Piper said, no, I want to tell you what's a tragedy. This is a tragedy. Then I'm, I'm reading right from this sermon. I'll read to you from Reader's Digest, Piper says, what a tragedy it is. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. When he was 59 and she was 51, 
They live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, playing softball and collecting shells. That is a tragedy, Piper says. And people today are spending billions of dollars to persuade you to embrace that tragic dream. And in one sermon, I plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream, a nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account of what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Would you look at my, Lord, look at my swing. God, look at my boat. The message is don't waste your life. Don't waste your life. You only have one. Live it for the king and live it for the kingdom. Time is precious and life is very unpredictable. Doesn't matter whether you're wealthy. It doesn't matter whether you're healthy. And most of you are both of those. Although we, we all, you know, imagine how it is. We all, we all know full well, we don't doubt it, we don't deny it, that it can happen that you get that 2 a.m. phone call, right? That, that, that desperate phone call that changes your life. But somehow we think it's only going to be for somebody else. It's not going to happen to me. One of the means of grace that I treasure the most, frankly, uh, is the preached word of God. I love listening to sermons. Sometimes I don't like listening to my own sermons, which is what I'm doing right now. That's weird. In preparation for this study in Ecclesiastes, I, I came across uh, a preacher, another PCA pastor. He happens to be my age. His name is Jeff. And he's down where I used to live in Greenville. And he had a 20-part series, a sermon series, through Ecclesiastes. And I, I started to listen to them. And they've informed and guided me. He's highlighted tons of insightful things that I think you've benefited from. I've benefited from. It's been food for my soul. Just months after Jeff preached that 20-part sermon series, he had a major stroke. And now, as a father of three kids, his wife, he's glad to be alive, but he can't talk. And I wrote him an email this morning and I said, Jeff, thank you so much, sincerely from my heart for feeding my soul with the wisdom of God's word and preaching Christ and him crucified. We don't know what's gonna happen in this life and Ecclesiastes has pointed that out so clearly. So yes, enjoy your youth, young people. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. Enjoy your youth. There will be a day when you don't have the mental capacity. You don't have the, you'll have physical limitations. So go. By all means, before you have a mortgage 
and, and, and gutters to clean and insurance to pay and children to feed and diapers to change. Go take risks. Go enjoy life. Go. Use your gifts. Use your mind. Learn. Study. Prepare. Please. But don't forget. Verse 8 and 9 of chapter 11. That there are dark days. And God will bring it all into judgment. So live. Carpe diem. And live. Coram Deo. Before the face of God. So I mean, I'm, I'm going to say this next part. That's where we're supposed to be, right? We're supposed to rejoice before we get old. And some of you are old and don't feel old or don't think of yourself as old. I don't care. So whether you're here today, I'm saying rejoice. And whether you're a senior citizen or a senior in high school, please, this next point is to remember before you face your creator. My second point. This is the other imperative. It's right there in verse 1 of chapter 12. Remember also your creator. It's this word remember, by the way, in, in Hebrew, in the Old Testament, when it, and it invites, encourages, calls people to remember, it's not simply a cognitive mental exercise, exercise of recollection, right? And it's certainly not rooted in our, our you know, uh, uh, just thinking. It's also, it's not passive, it's active. And in, in one commentator highlighted, it's a passionate Fidelity when we remember. The psalmist in Psalm 77 sets a good example for us in this regard. At a low point, right? At a, at a, at a, at a hard season, in, in adversity, I, the psalmist writes, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. The devil loves for you to forget. Our flesh is prone to wander away in, 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 in Foolishness because of our forgetfulness. But the psalmist here is saying, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. That's what remembering is. It's pondering. It's meditating. It is, it is, it is in a deep way contemplating who God is, what he said, what he has done. And you know, here's what I want to say to you. One of the reasons I know we're supposed to remember is because we're made in the image of God. And God remembers. God remembers his covenant. God remembers his people. We have tons of examples all throughout the redemptive history of God remembering. I'll give you one example. 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 1. We studied it in uh, a fall previous, right? In the life of, of, of Samuel, the life of, of Hannah. It says they rose early in the morning. Hannah was a woman of faith. There was promise over her and, and she was barren and that was painful. But God says, 1 Samuel 1, they rose early in the morning, they worshiped before the Lord, then they went back to their house and then she and her husband came together in ways that what, husbands and wives only should come together. And this is what it says. And the Lord remembered her. Which isn't. God remembered, oh, that's right. I knew I'd forgotten something and I had it on my to-do list and now I remembered. No, God remembered in such a way that he acted upon it and she gives birth to a son. And God does it again and again and again with his covenant and with his covenant people in the Old Testament. He brings deliverance. Why? Because he remembered his covenant promise. And to clarify all the more, what Coalette, his 
the Ecclesiastes is saying, the words of the wise, he says, are like goads, verse 11. They're like, they're like goads are like a, it's a, it's a large um, pole or stick that has a, a sharp, you know, metal point at the end that, you know, that would be used to prod and to guide and, and, and ultimately, as uncomfortable as it is, protect oxen from themselves. So, in other words, he's saying, remember, God is trying to guide you and to protect you. And yes, it's altogether uncomfortable at times, but it will preserve you and give you life spiritually. It will prepare you for the day of judgment. But we don't like to remember that, right? David Gibson writes, You will know that you know God when sometimes he makes you weep as he humbles your pride, reverses your expectations, upsets your priorities, and offends your behavior. You know you're dealing with the real God when he steps on your toes. The real Jesus. What's the end of the matter? The author gets to define. It's like he gives a commentary on the whole purpose of the book as enigmatic, puzzling, and confusing at times as it may have been. Here it is, as clear as day, the last two verses, he's going to let us know what the end of the matter and the purpose of the whole book. It's like the, the what, the why, and the, the here and now all you know, bunched together. This book puts us in our right place. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Remember what I said. The best place is not... The best place is not the mountaintop of prosperity and the worst place is not the valley of adversity and affliction. The best place is to be in right relationship with your creator. Do you think about that? I don't care what your bank account is. I don't care what kind of insurance policy you have. I don't, it doesn't matter what education you have. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what relationships you have in your life. At the end of the day, the greatest thing is to have a right relationship with your creator. And that's what he's saying we should remember. To give careful attention to the law of God because it is wisdom for life. It's not... It's not that God gave his law that he might inhibit us and restrain us and to restrict the joy of life. The law of God is the tracks our hearts were meant to run on. And yes, it does rise up in a way that looks like a mirror that confronts us and convicts us. But then it leads us right back in. What is the, the, this is the end of all, the duty of all mankind, of humanity's end, is what? The chief end of man is to What? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And we rehearsed this last night as a family. I love the children's catechism because it says, why are you to glorify God? The children's catechism says, because he made me and he takes care of me. The question before it in the children's catechism is, how can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. The fear of God is not some abject terror like you're afraid of tight spaces and spiders. 
The fear of God is a trusting, trembling walk of faith. Because really, the, the equivalent, the Old Testament equivalent to walking by faith is the fear of God. To walk by faith in the knowledge that we will be held accountable. Psalm 130, verse 3 and 4. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. The, the, the God of mercy, who loves me, who made me, who takes care of me, who is able to forgive me, is the one that I should stand in awe of and trust him with my whole life. It's a big step to trust God with your whole life. And that's the fear of the Lord, amongst other things. Judgment is coming. We heard it read in the New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians 5. For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due to him, whatever he's done in the body, good or evil. And then that's the precise echo. You, You can't miss it. Verse 14, let's read it again of our text. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. I find this, actually this verse stands out to me as good news. And and I want to give you three components to it for me as I was contemplating this week why it stands out as good news. Here it is. The first one is, it's sobering. It's sobering because it's saying, I need to honor God. He made me, he sustains me, he loves me, he redeems me. I want to be in a right relationship with God. The second thing is, it's comforting. Because if he's gonna bring judgment someday, it means that I don't have to carry resentment and bitterness. I don't have to right every wrong in the world. I know injustices, and some of you know them even deeper and more painful than imaginable, but God's gonna right that someday. And that's liberating, it's comforting. And the third reason it comforts me, that I find encouragement here, is that it's compelling. Because even the secret things done that nobody knows about, that no one could hear, serving that person, that special needs person who can't talk, who can't express appreciation, it doesn't matter because God sees it. God will be praised. God has my reward. God knows the end. The secret deeds. Are you prepared for the judgment day? We've all had the nightmare. You're going to start having them even more regularly, students. I'm sorry. Where you wake up and you're like, oh, there's a test. And I'm so not ready. And you're sitting in the classroom. And then you go, whew, that was just a nightmare. And some of you have had those moments, those, 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 you just about got broadsided by another car. And you think, that could have been the end of me. Am I prepared to meet my creator. We know that none of us can stand and withstand on that day by ourselves in our own merit, in our own good deeds, in our own accomplishments and hope that some blind God will 
weigh the scales, my good deeds and bad deeds. It's not like that. If you want to go, think about the whole journey we've made, whether you're going to go to the funeral home or whether you're going to go to the party or whether you're going to go to the academy or whether you're going to go into the valley of affliction or whether you're going to go to the judgment day, the thing that we need the most is a companion. More than that, an advocate. More than that, a redeemer. A good and faithful friend who is a shepherd who at all stages and all seasons of life and certainly here at the end because there is a fixed day in your life. You may not see 2023. There may be people in this room that do not see the new year. And we need something And it's the voice, as verse 11 tells us, is the voice of the one shepherd. That's whose voice has been carrying this book. That's the voice that knows our troubles and the mysteries. It's the voice of the good shepherd who becomes the Lamb of God, who sheds his own blood so that we could be purchased and cleansed and redeemed. Jesus rejoices in his life. And Jesus remembers the creator, the father. He remembers and he follows so perfectly, so beautifully. Jesus remembers the covenant, remembers the law, remembers the wisdom, remembers the father. And there's this portion, and I close with this, reading John 6, when Jesus says, all that the father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, here's an invitation and a promise to you this day. Respond to it, please. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that is given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Did you hear that? How did that come about? What, why is that accomplished? With such, with such confidence can we look at that, except to say that He was born under the law, that He fulfilled the law, that He went and suffered on a cross, that He has conquered sin, death, hell, the grave, even death Even death has nothing on us because he has conquered it himself. There is no other. He is the all in all. We sang it earlier. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray you'd prepare us now. Lord, I'm just going to give us a moment for us to Yield ourselves to you in repentance and faith. Please, I pray that you would work that in our hearts. Because we know the judgment day is coming. And that could be terror or it could be triumph. Work faith in our hearts.
Lord God Almighty, I thank you for uh, this book. I ask that you would use it to help us see our needs, to see our calling, but ultimately to see our Savior, the great hope of a world that's cursed and broken and vain and fleeting. Lord, I, I pray that you'd forgive us for our own warped, self-centered desires. I pray you'd give us new desires that reflect the love and the truth and the beauty of your kingdom so that we would live lives of rejoicing and remembering that we wouldn't waste our lives. I pray you'd do business in our hearts. I pray for even souls this morning, this very moment, who need to surrender for the first time or, an, or afresh. And find that you are a great and worthy King Jesus.